Your name is Stryker? Yes, it is. That's fire. <laughs> wow. I love sandwiches. It's called tuna on toast. I, I, I spit. I don't know what I'm doing. I love music, and I love those that create it. Stryker's here. Tuna on toast. Yes. Tuna on toast. Yeah, welcome to another episode of Tuna on Toast. It is Ted Stryker. Justin Furstenfeld from Blue October is going to join us in just a second. I got to tell you a quick story before he joins us. So I do Tune on Toast from my house. If it's your first time here and you're here because of Justin and Blue October, thank you for being here. There's an amazing library of episodes for you to check out after this episode. So again, I do it from my house. I know about what time is coming over and I wait at my porch. I see this big SUV coming towards my house and Justin is not only in that car, but it was very sweet, very cute, because he was in the back seat, and he got dropped off, and you're thinking, well, that's normal. You're in an Uber or a Lyft. No, no, no. He was with a couple people he works with, a guy and a girl, but it really felt like it was parents dropping their kid off at school, because when he got out of the SUV, Stephanie in the passenger seat goes, Justin, do you have everything? He said, yes, Stephanie, I have everything, and then we all did a big hug. Justin and I walked inside the house, and the SUV drove away. Blue October started putting out full-length records in 1998, and then 2000, 2003, 2006. I mean, just consistency and great music. They've released 12 full-length studio albums. They've had 19 charted singles. They've been signed by record labels and dropped by record labels. Justin, who we're about to hear from, and I don't want to give too much away. I mean, he owns his own record label, his own studio. He writes songs. He produces songs. He's an extremely collaborative guy and a great guy. And I say this with full confidence. All these years into their career, they are getting bigger right now than they ever have. I'm just so happy for the guys. I'm happy for Justin and Blue October and their fans who have been with them every step of the way. All right, let's get to it. Without any further ado, oh, don't forget, uh, Spinning the Truth Around uh, part one is out. Part two comes out September 29th, and then there will be a part three. Without any further ado, please welcome to the Tuna on Toast studio from Blue October, Justin Furstenfeld. Justin, come on in here! Hey. There he is, there he is. Welcome, have a seat, have a look around. Thank you. Thank you for awesome. being here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate Whoa, it. Whoa, he doesn't respect wood. He doesn't, doesn't <laughs> oh respect wood. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> he doesn't respect wood. <laughs> I love it, dude. Getting over to my place today, were you thinking, what the hell am I doing? I'm scared. I, I, don't, I have no idea what's happening here. Actually, I, I was with uh, my manager, Paul, who was driving, who I never let drive. And Stephanie, she works with me at the label. And um, and I was thinking, this is awesome. Like, this is amazing. I love this. And my manager was like, oh, my God, where, where are we going? <laughs> and Stephanie's talking to me about business. And I'm just going, ooh, Stryker, damn, you you fine. Thank like, you. Thank we're getting you. out here. Thank then you. I was, like, kind of getting into the whole thing of, okay, this is, like, kind of like a, I could see this being in a horror film. Which is weird because I got here and I was just like, when I got up here, I was like, okay, this is, this is kind of one of those houses from the, the the movie is Tamara home. I kind of remember what that is with Liv Tyler. Oh, it was so good. I've thought about writing a script and I don't know the name of it. Pod kill kill cast pod. I don't know where guy opens up a podcast company and people that come to do their shows there start to disappear. Oh my god. That's it. That's my elevator pitch. I think that's brilliant, especially if it's way out in the middle of nowhere. Right. But then but check this out though. I mean, come on. I'm a true crime guy and I'm a writer for a living. Yes, that's true. So you throw that pitch at me, I'm gonna say they know they had an appointment with you. They know they had a podcast with you. Maybe you could like slowly poison them. That's what I'm saying. They, you don't just kill them and they disappear. Maybe they show up mm. a little bit of there and a little bit of and then they have to I, do four or five parts. That's four or five episodes they have to pre-record, so they're still airing. And they're and like, how just, are these episodes happening? Right, and the more they come, the more sick they get. <laughs> and by the end of the episode, they just have to cancel because they're dead. Maybe we can make this happen. I mean, I like it. I can be I one of the producers. You like it. it. I don't know. I like the whole thing, though. Pod kill. By the way, if you don't know, Justin and I first met in 1999, early Come 99, <laughs> in Tucson, Arizona, 
and you oh. couldn't have been nicer. I remember the great experience. You even autographed a CD for me. Oh, which it's I, so difficult for me to autograph. I, you like you even autographed I, a CD? Yeah, you autographed a CD because I was so excited to meet you guys. I was a fan then, and all these years later, I've been cheering you on, and here we are. Face to face. This is so cool. I appreciate it. Thank you. Of course. You. Wasn't that W? I can't remember. It was the... KFMA. KFMA. It was kind of on a dirt road in Tucson. It was the last station I worked at before I got a job in Los Angeles, which was insane. Wow. I'm happy I was a nice guy. You were. Thank God. That's great. Well, Did... it's, I'm just congratulations for all your success. Thanks, man. I mean, it's you're a legend. And so just <sighs> being being brought here. My manager called me yesterday and said, you're going to be on the striker show. I was like, are you kidding me? Who's right that? Now? Oh, shut <laughs> up. Anyway, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. Yeah. Your early goals when you formed the band Blue October there in the mid 90s, what were those or did you even have any? I did. I wanted to be I was I was more of the as long as I have a backpack full, full of songs mm -hmm. and I could be like the Cure and the Smiths and the Red House Painters. Do you remember the Red House I Painters? I don't. Or the Cocteau Twins? Of course, Cocteau Twins. Cocteau yes, Twins. For sure. I, uh, House. Uh, as long as I could sing sad boy songs and I could just be, you know, Mazzy Starry kind mm -hmm. of cool and tour for a living, I'd be fine. So I wasn't really worried about making it big or anything. I was just always kept my eye on making art, making really honest songs. So that was my whole kind of thing. You I knew that at a young age that the songs had to be authentic and honest for the audience to buy who you are? You well, knew that? This is the deal. I was in a band in middle school and high school called The Last Wish. And I even have a tramp stamp tattoo on my back. Mm. I'll show you after the interview. It says The Last Wish. And I was told... I wrote a song called Black Orchid when I was in high school, 14 years old, and it was about teen suicide, right? And um, it was pretty brutally honest. And I played it for my mom, and my mom was like, hey, that's amazing. I want you to keep singing me songs like this, because then she could tap into where I was as a high school kid going right. through depression yeah. and a little bit of mental illness and stuff. Mm. So when I sang that song live one night, I asked the band last wish. I was like, can I just go back on stage and play this song? And I played it live and everybody in the audience was like, just quiet. Right. And, and I saw this response and they were all like taken back. Some people were tearing up. Some people were like, Whoa, that was amazing. But it was a genuine reaction. It wasn't just like, Oh, we're here having a good time at a rock show. And I remember that feeling of, wow, that song changed everybody's mood. It was all right in here until the end of the show when I played that song, the one that was so personal that made everybody feel kind of uncomfortable, but right. it made them go, I want more of that. So after the show, they came up and talked to me. They're like, where, what? I, do you have more like that? And the band were pissed that I was in a band with. They were like, you can't sing. That's too dramatic. That's too blah, 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 blah. So I was like, well, if you're not going to let me be who I am, then I'm going to leave the band. So I left that band and I started writing songs that were straight up just really, really honest. I called it reality music because back in the 90s, reality TV had yes. just started. Yes, the remember? real world. Real world. Yes. All this stuff. Yes. Yeah, yeah, you remember that? Yes. Oh, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, true story. True story. California, John. California. <laughs> Remember that? Of course. That was John Dominic. Come on, bro. On the Dom, bro. Yeah. He took my comforter off me. Remember you just, uh, and all you spitting and stuff. Yes. Everywhere? So that was really big back then. And I was like, well, yes. why isn't there reality music? Why isn't it? So I remember oh thinking God. in 94, 93, 94, I'm quitting this band because they were singing about golden daffodils. And I was like, this is stupid. So I started writing these songs called like Black Orchid and then For My Brother and then uh, The Answers. And it talks about Paxil and Prozac and cutting. And, and it wasn't all bad. It wasn't all dark, but it was just really honest. The so, words are honest. Was the music that was going along with it uppity and happy or was the music dark as well? It was dark as well, which is what I love. Okay. It was nice and trippy and yeah. the Smiths meets the cure disintegration, oh. not cure... Uh, boys don't cry. Right, the cure disintegration. Yes, yeah. So it was like, <laughs> it was haunting, but you'd want to make out to it with your girl because it's really romantic. So I just remember that, and then when I saw people's reaction to that song, Black Orchid, and for my brother, and 
Tomorrow and Sweet and Somber Pigeon Wings and The Answers. These were all really honest songs, songs talking about really honest stuff. I started noticing when I started Blue October that just like 300, 400, 500, 600, 800, organically people just showing up just to see pow, you. On, and they're punks, they're hip hop, they're, they're, and it just grew and grew and grew and grew. This and was I was in Texas, like, right? This is in Texas, in Houston. And so I was like, this is my thing. This is what it is. I'm not just going to go write a bubblegum song now. And if they want me to, why? I just, as long as I can keep writing these happy, not happy, these honest, authentic, authentic, honest. drippy, pain ridden, but then you can write about happy just as visually or love just as visually, but just really honest. And I always listen to bands and I was like, why aren't they being more specific? When I'd listen to Morrissey, he'd talk about young bones grown and the rocks below say, throw your white body down. And I'm like, what the hell? What did he say? You know, he would tell you what street he was on. He would tell you what degrees it was in the room. He'd tell you how it smelled. And I was like, this is what I got to do. Super descriptive. Yeah, so I just But thought, Justin, sorry, yeah. there's a lot of people that can write down these authentic thoughts and maybe even make a good song about it. But having the guts to get in front of someone and you're really letting your guard down even more now. How the hell did you do that? Watching Jane's Addiction when I grew really? up. Watching Perry Farrell. Do yes. you remember that movie, The Gift? Yes. Watching that stuff oh and going, my God, this guy's wild. This can't be real because he'd be dead if it were real. Mm. How can he do that? You know, you got Marilyn Manson, then you got Jane's Addiction. Jane's Addiction was real life stuff. Marilyn Manson was shocking. I loved it, you know? But, but watching Jane's Addiction do that kind of thing, I was like, this is freaking me out, but right. the songs are so beautiful and they're yes. so sad and they're so, oh, it's breaking my heart while I'm going crazy inside, while I'm, this hook goes into the kid in the movie and carries him off mm -hmm. to the concert. Like, what is this? So I was like, if Jane's Addiction can sing, I been caught stealing once when I was five, you know, just and just ragged and, you know, just freaking Jane says and, Jane's Addiction really did it. The Smiths, The Cure. It was easy for me to get on stage because I was in theater also and just be this, ugh. And I remember seeing Midnight Oil. I went and saw them. And Beds I remember, are burning. Dude, I remember seeing the singer Peter Garrett and he was on stage and he was doing this like that and his head was steaming because he was bald and Ian Curtis of Joy Division. Yes. It was like a, these guys are crazy. Oh my God. So when I got on stage, I said, if I could say things that make people feel and be really feel, I've always felt things. I've always been so sensitive. And so, so when I got on stage, it was just blah. And I didn't really, I never really cared what anyone thought. And I think that's why I like myself so much is you don't have to like me. You don't, but I'm still going to make music and I'm still going to be as big and as Peter Gabriel was huge in my life too. You know, so you have all these people that are putting on these shows where he's walking out with a telephone and he's stretching outside of the telephone yes. booth. Come talk to me. <laughs> Come talk to me. And I'm like going, look at that. Just you talking about it right now. It's like, that's what music is about, you know, and that's what I was trying to do before I got signed to Universal and. Everything started be kind of coming. Was business. foiled the first album you put out with Universal? No, dude. We put out this album called Consent to Treatment in two thousand. In two thousand, yeah. And that's when Limp Biscuit and Corn and right, it was insane. Rage Against the Machine, Battle of Los Angeles came out. <laughs> All that kind of stuff, right? And then here I am singing these songs that are just sensitive little, you know. So we sold, I think, fifteen thousand units, and then we were dropped. And to Were they me, nice about it, or is there no way to matter? Be nice it's about business, it. and I'm that way. So I was like, I got you. All right, Avery. All right, Monty Littman. All right, Doug Morris. I'm out. All huge names for those of you listening right now. Those are giant names in the music industry, and they're they're amazing. And and, mm -hmm. and I signed with them all. I when they let me go, I got it. Everybody else was pissed, and they were like, How oh, can they? But I'm like, dude, they hired us to make a brand new Nike shoe, right? To make us jump higher, and we didn't make the right shoe. Mm. Let's get back and go. Let's go. So I knew business wise why they dropped me and they were smart but i said i'm gonna go write an album and they're gonna want me back and so i went and wrote a song called calling you and my manager picked me up and we signed me to his independent label and next thing you know we're doing showcases again and and i said you know who i really want i don't want interscope i don't want jason flom at atlantic i want avery and monty back 
And they're like, why would you want them back? And I was like, because they already know us. It was our fault that it didn't succeed. I made a sensitive art rock song while Woodstock 99's going on. That's not your fault. You are staying true to yourself, self-awareness. Let's not fake the funk. We're not going to put out something that sounds like Jonathan Davis or Fred. We're going to do what we do. Yeah. And unfortunately, the timing. There you go. Just the timing wasn't right. Yeah, it's nothing that. you did wrong. Oh, no, I'm no, still okay. getting streams on that album. That album's great. Yes. I'm, I'm banking. It's Good. great. It's awesome. Good. But it wasn't for the times. We didn't have a hit. And, you know, when you have a hit, it takes off. And the labels love you. So we made Calling You, and I showcased in front of Doug Morris and Avery Lippman and Monty again. And I said, let's do this again. And we re-signed with them. And that's when things started going really good. Have you always been someone that if you got knocked down in life, you just got right back up? I'm not talking about in the last 10 years. I'm talking about before that. Getting let go from a label. For some people, they'd be like, all right, I'm done. I'm not going to write any more songs. I'm crushed by this. You did the opposite. You got to remember. Remember what I said before. I wasn't in it to like be big. I was in it just to make art. Mm, and if right. I could go back to right. Texas or go back to Omaha or go back to St. Louis and play for a thousand people and they come listen to my music, I'm like, I'm good, bro. I'm straight. It was all these other people that wanted more out of it. You could be a star. And I'm like, oh, be, hey, oh, what is this star Christ. shit? You know, like, am I allowed to say shit? Yes. Like, what is this star shit? Why, do you, why would you even want to be a star, bro? I just want to make art. I want to be like Johnny Cash. I want to be like Peter Gabriel. I want to be like, I mean, I don't want to be like George Michael, even though I loved George Michael. Oh. I adored George freaking yes. Michael. Yes. Right. More than Michael Jackson, more than anybody. George Michael was my my man growing up. I wanted to be him. But then when I discovered the cure and the Smiths and, you know, Tom Waits and really beautiful poets, I was like, that's that's what I want to do. When you speak of George Michael and I heard, just heard everything you said loud and clear mentioning those other artists. But George Michael, for some, isn't appreciated enough mm -mm. for the producing and the songwriting. Can I just say amen? Can I just go ahead yes. and say A to the A to the M-E-N? Yeah. Amen. That mother effer, beautiful soul. Can you imagine? He wrote and produced that. Right. Very Prince-like. Not saying as big as Prince, but... But the songs, I'm sorry, to me are better. I mean, I love Prince. I love it. But it's like, you have... Teacher, there are things that I still have to learn. Remember that? Of course. Well, the last one I had is my pride. You know, like, come on, wow. bro. Yeah. Oh, uh, but I don't want to learn to hold you tied to you. Think that you're mine. Oh, my God. You know? And by you ain't no joy <laughs> for an uptown boy wow. who just is unwilling to try you know, like that song. And then he wrote Kissing a Fool and you wrote, I mean, there's so many, if you look at them, it's not just A chords. I've oh. tried to do covers. I did this thing during COVID where I did covers, right? I did a thing where I went on live and I, it was awesome. Blew up 4,000 viewers. It was awesome. But every time I tried to do a George Michael song, I was like, I don't know that chord. <laughs> Limp Bizkit covered George Michael. <laughs> They did. They Faith. did. And I hope George Michael made a lot of money off that. I hope so. I hope he did. But if you look at the chord progressions on any of that George Michael stuff, yeah. it's insane. It's jazz. It is jazz. And I wanted to know, when the hell did he go get jazz theory training? Because he started out just like I did, like high school, passing out demo tapes with Andrew. George Michael. That's all I got to say. I love that. This is music history, music education, Bro. all rolled into one. Who writes songs like George Michael? And the best Very thing is, people. is how they broke him was the most amazing thing. Of course, he broke himself with Wham, but putting him with Aretha Franklin. So yes. all of a sudden, he wasn't just this white boy that comes out and sings some pop. He is a world singer. He can sing. He's accepted in the R&B culture. He's accepted in the blues, accepted in the hip hop. He's singing with the queen. Right. Of R&B. What the hell do you think that did for George Michael? Thank you. Instant credibility. Instant credibility. And a zillion more fans It just made like him that. Whitney Houston in the male form. You know, it's like, come on. So anyway, I could talk about George all day. I got something for you when it comes to where you grew up in Texas and Los Angeles. You mentioned Jane's Addiction. Oh, my They're God. from right here. Oh. The Club Lingerie, where they played. Tool played there. Rage Against the Machine. Dragonfly. Not far from here. Did you ever say, I want to move there and do this to L.A., move from where you were? I did, 
but things happen so quick in Texas. I tried. I I, I tried to come to LA and play shows. There's a place called the Coconut Teaser. Yeah, the Coconut Teaser. Yeah, I played there once. <laughs> How'd it go? There was one person. Oh and no! And I remember the roof was so low. I jumped up and hit my head, <laughs> and I felt my neck oh, crack. No, it's all good. I'm not complaining. It was awesome, but L.A. is never really said, "Hey, just come on in," you know. And that's fine because L.A. is like the gold star that every band once you get there and you make it. I was intimidated, so I didn't want to come here and be told that I wasn't good enough because I'm in Texas and I've got thousands of people just going, you're Blue October. So I would just move from Houston to Austin and blow that up. Then I'd move to Dallas, blow that up. Then I'd just keep doing that. And then I just started touring in 1998. And I think we went through three vans for 10 years, putting 300,000 miles on them and just touring. We were road dogs. It's all we did. That's when bands like to tour. Back then, and we would play it's wherever. Blue collar style, which is yeah. my theory, and I'm not saying it's like Harvard level or anything, but the reason why bands like you and I went to see the Deftones recently, oh. and bands of that ilk, they earned every fan, yeah, one by one, yeah. because people watching them knew they went through S to get to this place. They drove a van. They're hardworking. They weren't handed anything from the internet. Yeah. And that's you, and that's that's them, man. It was so much fun though. Like back then, I think about it. It was so much fun because you did get to meet every single fan that you have. And we would do residencies like Boston, New York, Philly, St. Louis. And we do it every week, Thursday, Boston, New York. And we would do it for two months. And we played the same wow. Shubas in Chicago every week for two months or a month or whatever it was. And we would go every night to a different city. But by the time we finished Shubas, we were at the Metro because we had started uh, five people, then to 100 people, then 200 people. Nope, well, now it's too big. We go to the Elbow Room. Now there's 400, 500. Now we got to go to the Metro. Bam, bam. Now we're at the Double Door. And then after the Double Door, now you're at House of Freaking Blues, finally. It's only took six years, <laughs> but we're here. Yeah. And we're all still in our 20s. Holy crap. You know, so then we did that with every city. It's just L.A., we never, we, L.A.'s a hard town. L.A.'s Is a hard it, town. Okay, so... Is it because you didn't come here enough or because there's something in the water here that no, didn't? It's, I think it was because we were having such good success with the middle of America and to the right. Mm, I got you. And every time we would come near Colorado over to the, it's, it, it's just, it's just harder, but it wasn't, it was just exciting that when we finally had songs that were breaking, then we'd come play here and we play it like the Greek. Yeah. And it was sold out. I was like, what has happened? You know what I'm saying? So it made me go, I finally am accepted. You know, that's kind of what it felt like. So that was like 05, 06, 07, 08 <laughs> range, and things were going crazy. Yeah. What were you like mentally at that place, not professionally? How were you handling all that then? Man, I kind of lost track of of the business of it all. I was in a, a very unhealthy marriage, and it was like I had a child. I was the only one in the, the band with a child in a very unhealthy relationship. I was utilizing self-medication and drugs and alcohol, whatever it was, but I, what, and everything was going so well business-wise that it was like, this is, I was a different person, man. I was a, such a, it's crazy. I was such a different person. When you say that, do you mean in terms of like your personality or self-awareness, cockiness, hum, being humble? All of it, all of it, all of it. I thought that, oh, okay. Since, since, I mean, I, I'll be honest. I thought I've got this song, Hate Me Out, and it's number one, you know? Right. It's no big deal, you know? I'm, I'm the bomb. <laughs> I, could, I, could, I could literally fart in a microphone, and it'll sell millions. It didn't. No, Justin, you dumb, dumb, dumb little boy. Was that the chemicals telling you that oh, yeah. in your body? Or yeah. is that how you authentically was, thought? Oh, no, because now I'm completely sober, and I'm like, be grateful, mother. Your mama would smack you. You know what I'm saying? Of course. So it's yes, like yes, yes, yes. It's um, but I always loved music. So it was a different person. It was a different time. It was everything was really fast. Everything was you know, and I wasn't in a good relationship. And you know, relationships at that age, you know, when you're dealing with depression and stuff, it's it's you know, you just think of yourself. I remember going to radio shows and being so just negative. I could listen to some now and just being like. 
No wonder they didn't want to play me because they didn't want me back in their radio station. I remember the radio people just crying sometimes. I'd be like, I did good. I made them cry. I'm like, no, bro. This is radio. People are gonna supposed to want to come listen. They're on their way to work. Why would right. you want to make them cry? Right. It's so interesting, though, to look back, whether it's you or anyone out there that's in the creative space, and you don't at times realize that you're accomplishing something huge and those opportunities to play with all those other bands at our dumb radio show, whatever. Dude. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. Actually. It's amazing. If yeah. I, and that's why I don't take anything for granted these days. And I think another thing was, is here I was back then singing songs about suicide and drug addiction and into the ocean and hate me. Yeah. Both about suicide and drug addiction and they're, they're selling millions of copies. And so I've got to kind of promote, that's when the, it bit me in the butt. Like, okay, this reality music thing's great until millions of people are listening to them and what you're singing about is nothing but sadness. Then you're promoting the sadness. Then you got to put a t-shirt on that says, I'm the sad guy. Mm. And then you're playing Radio Fest and you got to be the sad guy because you can't, you're singing Hate Me. You're not singing Let's Party. Right. You're not Limp Bizkit. You're not Fred Durst going, I did it all for the nookie. Come on. <laughs> you're the one that's going, <laughs> So that was every day. And I was like, oh, man, you really kind of put yourself in a spot there. But it wasn't until I decided to leave Universal Records because of uh, 2008. I think everybody was just like, whoa, because uh, Napster and streaming and all that came up. And so record sales just kind of went. Whoosh. Yeah. So we split ways and we started our own label, my manager, myself. And I up thought, down up down records. Yeah. And. Congratulations Thanks. on that. I don't know if anyone tells you that. That's a big deal, and it's still going, and you produce, and you got the studio. That's awesome, man. And I got really cool people like Stephanie Hardy working for me. Like, what the hell, yeah, She's man? incredible. She's incredible. She's a bulldog. And yeah. it's like, how come she likes me? Because I met her in Universal, and we connected, and it was about something real. The music was about something real, so she always found it very passionate to go fight for it. And, um, and we both know Stephanie. She just doesn't cut any corners. She's just like, ah, you either love her or you're like, okay. <laughs> and that's why I love, I'm so grateful to be able to work with her. But I thought that if I'm going to start a label and I'm going to, uh, and really do this music business, right. I should go get sober and I should go clean myself up. And, you know, I didn't want to be the typical, you know, man sells million records, wastes all his money on cocaine and crystal methamphetamine. And then he has nothing, you know? So I, my dad taught me better than that. You know, my dad was a DEA agent growing up. He was a cop. Were your so, parents together when you were yeah, a kid? They were still together. Uh, and uh, so I thought, if I'm going to do this record label thing, and if I'm going to do it my way where I can make art and do it the way I want and not focus on being number one, let's just focus on putting out consistently good albums and make the ecosystem of Blue October grow, you know, so we can so maintain our families, maintain our mortgages, our health insurance, we can slowly hire people that we believe in. We can travel around the country and do amazing things like this. You know, I never got the chance to do interviews with you when I was with Universal. Right. You know, yeah. but now I do. Like, this is crazy. And you're like a legend. So uh, the no, fact no, that it <laughs> comes around full force is what I'm saying. I'm constantly reminded every day of the blessings I have. Just all I got to do is stay sober and keep writing music. And, I do, and there's another thing. I don't let anyone, anyone ever tell me what I can sing and write about. And I, I just stay in that lane and I just keep going. I'm just super grateful. Now we've been doing it for 11 years and we're still putting out good music. I know, but you go 2011 when you start your label and then it's like 13, 16, 18, 20, yeah. 22. The 22 and 23, three albums are gonna be coming out in a row. Two are, one out, one coming up, and then yeah. the third one. Yeah. But you mentioned that, oh, you're lucky enough to come here and hang out with me. I, that's what I feel when people <laughs> come see me. I can't believe yeah. in my bubble, which is a million times smaller than yours, that people are coming over right. from Tom DeLong and Tom Morello and Shinoda and I, coming right over. I can't, it's, I'm blown away, man. Bro, you just blew my mind when you said all those names. I'm like, seriously? Oh my God, let me smell this chair. Let me smell where my butt's sitting. But yeah, you know, it's but it's a, the truth. Yeah. And what it's just a testament of is that we're all just good people just trying to connect yes. Yes. and we're all connect. blessed and lucky enough to be in this crazy business called the music business that there are no rules. There are no fucking rules. And that's the best thing about the music business. That's why when I see these little kids these days that go, 
you know, man, hey, man, here's my demo tape. And I'm like, all right, well, what are you going to do if I like it? Why should I sign you? I've never signed one band. Holy mackerel, really? Are you look? Are I'm you, always looking. Okay, and what does someone have to do musically for your ear where you're like, I really like this? And not necessarily musically. It, it can be good, but it has to show promise. You know, it has to show like this guy can that. keep writing and I can give him subject matters. I, I have an engineer that works at my studio at home. And then I got like three, four people that I constantly write with. So I'm constantly, we're all writing stuff. It's like a machine. Ever since I found out Drake didn't really write his shit, yeah. I was like, that's genius. I'm going to hire people to sit around and write music all day long so that when I come home from tour, I'm like, okay, give me what you got. Give me what you got. Give me what you got. And then I got like 30 pieces of music. All right, now let's all get down to work. We need three-minute song, fast, upbeat. It needs to be about this. Let's go. Pow. And we just do it like a machine. And we write and we write. But we keep it as honest and real. And I'm a... Good bullshit detector. I could smell a lie like a fart in a car, you know? So now it's like a big plane. We got 30 songs? <gasps> this is great. Let's go. And we just write. That's all okay. we freaking do. All right, hold on. I have back-to-back -back questions. The yes, writing that's going on when you're not there, are they doing lyrics and music? And when no. you come in? No. No. They know what kind of music I like. Oh, and then you bring in the lyrics and you figure out how to move and shake. Oh, yeah. and do. They've been listening. Oh, my they, God, they, they, Justin, I'm so yeah, excited they, they, by this. They come, they come in, they listen to what I like, the kind of music I like, and they know they're not going to bring me a power chord freaking song that sounds like 2006, or else I'd be like, why the fuck are you bringing me a power chord 2006 song? They're going to bring me something new, something that has some flavor, something that sounds like Frank Ocean meets, uh, I don't know, uh, oh, God, Cigarettes After Sex meets. Oh, Cigarettes After Sex, yes. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. That kind of music, and then I'm going to speed it up. I'm going to put a fat beat to it, and then I'm going to make something positive and sing about it. Pow. Or romantic or negative. Who knows? I'm just going to put a, a anthemic chorus that everybody wants to kiss their girlfriend to. Pow. And that's it. And I'm not going to make it preachy because nobody wants to be preached to nope. anymore. Nope. I'm not going to tell them, go work out. You can be the best. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to relate. And I'm going to really be honest with it. But I've got three, four guys that are constantly writing good music, the style that we write to. And so that means I've got so much material always. In my phone, I've got hundreds of demos that when I'm driving and when I'm working out or when I wake up, when I have my nightly cigarette and a, that's me now I have a nightly cigarette and a hot chocolate that's how dangerous i am one cigarette a day one and a hot chocolate sometimes though i go to two <laughs> please keep it at two but i don't ever go i don't ever smoke in the middle of the day only at yeah. night when the sun's gone down it's right. a rule if i can quit crystal meth yes i i can <laughs> fuck yeah i can fucking not Smoke a cigarette till after 9.30 p.m. Get it? So it's 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 great. And I've got a studio on my property. I bought this property in Wimberley, Texas. Where, where is Wimberley, Texas? I know nothing about Texas, by the San way. San Antonio, Austin. Wimberley's right in the middle. Okay. And it's the only place in Texas that I would tell you to visit. Because okay. it's got rivers. It's got oh, trees. It's not. Love it's that. 106 degrees outside. But it's I love got, Palm Springs. It's 118 right now there. There you go. Okay, then. Then you're fine. Yeah. yeah. But I got a studio there. We're constantly working. Can I visit you sometime? Oh, my there God. Strike. And check it out? Bro, if you ever come to Austin for anything, you're staying with me. Okay. Thank you so I've much. I've got this really big property, <laughs> and you're going to stay with me. You have to promise me. I promise you. Okay. Now, is the place I would sleep in, like in the movie Roadhouse, when Patrick Swayze rents that I thing? know that how. I know that movie, right? Yeah, okay, right. You know when he rents no. from the old guy? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. But it is in the woods, and I would let I you like stay that. in the main house with me. No, put me in the, uh, no, put me in the outhouse. You are, no, 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 no. <laughs> There's a studio. Check it out with a bedroom. Mm -hmm. So it, when I rent out the studio when I'm gone to other bands, they can live there. But what I'm doing right now is I'm building a big rehearsal shed slash uh, pre-production and a bus driveway so we don't have to do anything anymore it's all on my property that's so and uh, cool. so when you come yes i'm gonna let you stay in the house with me thank you i'm go i'm going to take you up on that and you better be and like, there's a shit he actually that, did it hey and guess what i did during covid what i said you know what i have a really <laughs> good friend who's also one of those people that write with me i'm gonna shout him out right now his name is feathers matthew ostrander 
He's one of the most beautiful writers, and I've written with him. But he's also an artistic pool designer, right? He just doesn't just design pools. He designs some really crazy pools, right? So I call him up, and I'm like, hey, bro, <laughs> want some studio time? During COVID, right? Yeah. Because everybody's locked down. I'm not touring. He goes, why are you? Well, yeah, I'd love some studio time. And I was like, well, then come dig a pool with me. So I have the six acres, so I get these big backhoes, right? Me, who's never hard labored <laughs> at all. And I start digging and digging. And I build a pool with this guy in my backyard. Is it done? It's Yeah, it's been done. It's done. It's beautiful, oh but it's God. not. But, but I did it by trading studio time. Because yes. I didn't have sixty hundred thousand dollars extra just right. sitting around during COVID. <laughs> hey, it's COVID. Everybody's starving. Let's spend a hundred grand. No, I don't have that. It's all in five twenty nines and my kids brew whatever. Yeah, you know. But I dug a pool, so it's got a little pool, so you can go swimming. You can soak your little body in there. All right, I'm very dainty, just yeah. so you and, know, and, and you very just... light skin. So I've sunscreen on and Dude, jump right it's perfect. in. Perfect. So, so does my girlfriend. She's got <laughs> very light skin, and she's she's got a. Whenever I'm with my girlfriend, we we got to walk around and, with and a sun the, umbrella with a with a black umbrella, and we're all in black, right? So we kind of look like Wednesday. And it's a great uh, look. Yeah, it's a really good look. Wednesday. But if you come down to San Marcos or Win Wimberley, where I live. You stay with me. We'll go in the studio, and I'll okay. show you how I produce things. I stuff. would love to see that. I have. There's two words that come to mind speaking with you, which is almost a theme with the guests that come over, and that is selflessness when it comes to making a song. Yes, and collaboration is good. Oh, dude, you got to take your ego out. If you can take your ego out of all of that stuff, you can get the best product, best songs. Do you? Do you realize, remember when I told you that Universal dropped us, right? And you were like, ah. Oh. I was like, I was fine with it, but everybody mm -hmm. else was pissed. They flew me out to drop me, right? And I remember sitting in the office. Here in LA? No, in New York. In New York, right? okay. And Monty Lippman looked at me and he goes, hey, we want you to write with Richard Marks. And we think that'll help. And my dumbass looked at him and said, I don't need to write with Richard Marks. Why would I want to write with Richard Marks? What, what are you talking about? And my father, who managed me at the time, was with me. And he, we both looked at each other and we were like, we don't, what are you talking about? We don't need to write with anybody. We write ourselves. We write our own stuff. And he goes, well, then we're not going to be working anymore. You're dropped. Right? But this is what I'm God. saying. Back then he said, we want you to write with Richard Marks. Who now, is a Hall of Fame who's a writer. Hall of Fame writer. Yes. Now, in this headspace I am, I can't get... If I could get him on the phone, I would. You know, I was supposed to write with Linda Perry. I was supposed to write with all these people, and I ruined it. I ruined it because of my ego, and I never got to write with any of them. I had the chance. Universal was giving it to me. I said no. So what you're saying right there, yeah. the day I realized that it's not all about me, it's about learning from as many people as you can yes. and growing, and being around positive people. I truly believe yes. that we are the sum of the five people we surround ourselves I with. I agree. And if we surround ourselves with hatred, anger, and pettiness, you will be a selfless, selfish little bitch. You know, and I and I can't do that. I can only surround myself with inspiring positive people. And when I'm in the studio, bro, I will look at someone and go, "Your vibe is fucking me. Get out." With with all due respect. Right. You know, right. but it's so true to protect the vibe. I want to learn from these people that came in the studio and are taking time to write with me. It's amazing, but you're right. Hurt people hurt people. Yeah. And misery loves company. Dude, misery. You can't, if you're with some of those people, no matter how strong-minded you are, you're going to get sucked into that negativity. Dude. Because you're, gonna, you're around them all the time, and it's going to bleed into you. Time vampires. Oxygen thieves. You know what right. I'm saying? All it's crazy. That. All of that. I pray for him, but man, I'm I'm a little older now. You know? I don't even know if I pray for him anymore. Ah! They're old enough to know. You're so ruthless <laughs> with your bad self. Speaking of collaborating, yeah, I would like a few details. I don't know how long we're in on this, but Billy Corgan co-writing and you guys in a room together. Yeah. How many was that? Like three or four years ago? Two and a half years. Two and a half years ago. Yeah. Who, how did you get hold of him, or did he get hold of you? He's how got my same agent. We have the same agent. Okay. So this is what I'm talking about. I just want to write with people, right? So I'm, I've got feelers everywhere. Billy wrote back, I'd love to write with him. That'd be great. Wow. 
And I go to his beautiful home in Chicago and <laughs> so cool. And I walk into the studio and yeah. I'm like, You're really He's tall, isn't he? So tall. So tall. And it's it's it was crazy because he's Billy Corgan, right? So <laughs> I brought a demo of probably fifty songs. Because all this music that all my boys and I write. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, what well, we're doing this? And he goes like this. This is Billy Corgan. He goes, I work very quickly and I don't do lyrics because you're already a great lyricist. So we're going to let you handle the lyrics. So listen to the song and he'll go, Somebody That's your verse. Chorus. That's your chorus. Okay, next song. Let's go to the next song. I'll be like, all right, all right. We go to the next song and well, be like, were you able to understand what he was saying? I don't it mean the, the matter words. The lyrics. No, no, I, the no that's what I mean. What he yeah, was because saying we have a microphone on everything. Oh. So whatever's coming out of our minds, we're just vibing. And he goes, now, if you don't agree with me, you're vibing. So I caught on. He just likes to work quick. And the first melody that comes out is the one he likes to use. And unless I go, I, wait, 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 wait. What if I went, da, sa, da, 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 da. then he'll go, ooh. What about, and I'll be like, oh my God, that is so cool. And he'd be like, remember when I went, well, let's go. And I'm just going, this is crazy. We're not even saying anything. We're just going, you know, and his boys over there recording the whole time. So we go through 12 songs, wrote fucking 12. Did any of those end up on the three of the albums for you? The Don't Say It Wasn't Love, it came out on Spinning the Truth Around Part 1. It's one of the most magical songs. It's beautiful. That one came out. And then uh, a song called Sobriety, This Peace I'm Seeking, it's on the second uh, album. Which comes out September 29th, 14 songs. That's part two. Yes, part two. So then my follow-up is this. So I had a really fun chat with Billy Corgan about two or three months ago. You know, he did the three-album rock opera, 33 songs. Yeah. Did that inspire you to do three albums, what he did, or that just happens no, to be... I didn't know. I think what happened is a lot of mothers, a lot of people were locked down in COVID, and artists went, what the hell am I going to do? And we all, all the proactive people, all the hustlers went out there every day and wrote and wrote. So when it came time for COVID to be over, everybody went, I have a rock album, three of them, yeah. look at this. And everybody's just putting it out, you know? And I think he had been working on like a rock opera for a while. Yes. Because I think it's, that's just who he is. Very complicated, very, very creative, very particular. And that's his thing. I was just, I just had way too many songs. And you know, when you put an album out, you get about 10, you get a certain look for a while, and then people go on. So I didn't want to put a... 30 song album out because I'd only get about two weeks of a look. Right. I said, well, let's put three on. You know, just business wise, it's smarter. It is smarter, but it's not a concept. It's not like, oh, look, part one meant he left. Part two means he's getting over it. Part three means he's back on drugs. No. Uh, He wanted to attempt, and I think he's doing a good job. And I feel like you doing these three albums is doing it also. And maybe you don't even realize it. Retraining the audience. That bands are not just about one song and move on with your life. Here's a collection of them. Hopefully, even though we're very distracted in the world, you're going to spend some time with these songs and really feel what we as the artist, that would be you, have been creating and feeling. Or give them the choice, you know? The bands that they always grew up on or the bands that they listened to that they could always count on coming back with quality music are going to give them quality and quantity so that when they're shut down or when we're locked down or when we come out of this lockdown and the, the race says go, we're going to be so far ahead of most bands because we have three albums full, but they're not just crap songs. They're really good albums. Really. It really put our, right. our artistry to a, to a test. It, you, you know, cause we wouldn't have been able to do that if we were on tour or if we were doing radio or if we were doing all that stuff. So it's pretty cool that we can, also reinvent ourselves musically, try different styles, different formats, different, uh, different. Uh, and then you look at radio and you're like, okay, oh, wow, <laughs> I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna go to alternative for that one. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> and hopefully that one will go down to hot AC. And then if, if I'm lucky and I got enough money left, I'll go to pop if it happens. But then you got rock. And then you, I mean, you've AAA got AAA formats all over, you know. But if you can dance with each one of those as an independent label, that's my goal is just to create relationships in every one of those categories so that no matter what style of music I put out, I have a home, a home base there. Love that. That's one thing that really screwed me when I was with Universal is that when Spotify first started, when they got, Universal got the slips and said, well, what is this band like? They put us under new metal. No. Which is 99, you know, Tool. Right. Limbiscuit, Corn, Three Doors Down, all that stuff. And so ever since that 1999 submission for Spotify, and we've, we've told them, please help us. We've always just been lumped into that category. So no matter what new music we put out, we're never out of that category. We're still in the, the new metal category and we're, we're not new metal. And that's the whole point of what I do now with the up down records is we are able to evolve and make all different types of music, which is great because as we sit here in 2023 and I am 1000% positive on this genres don't really matter that much right now. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Mm -mm, It doesn't. Speaking of songs, speaking of radio, down here waiting. Uh-huh. I am ready to play on my show right now called Out of Order. We're in like 45 cities. Ah! Give me a tidbit on Down Here Waiting. Man, Down Here Waiting is just a sexy song about meeting someone sexy and about, you know, just being sexy with somebody sexy. You know, it's about good life. It's about meeting this girl and just going, yeah, you just want to have some fun. And, and that's all it's about. It's about no drama. Let's just have some fun. When you recorded this song, do you remember what it looked like outside that day or what you were feeling? Dude, I've recorded this song seven different times. No! Listen, this is how specific I am. This song used to be a breakup song, and then I got (laughs) over the breakup, and I changed into a... a, I have seven different full versions. What I'm going to do at the end of this run of this single is I'm going to put an EP out called Down Here Waiting, the EP, and there's seven different songs. It's just this is my favorite one. I had to write, I'm that particular. I'm like, oh, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. Yeah, it was seven different. I mean, there's, it's, this is a sad version. And it's all different lyrics, all different choruses, everything. But it's still down here waiting. I think if you asked any band out there that's getting started and showed them your career, they would take it in a freaking millisecond. Are you proud and you feel like you've accomplished what you've set out to do up to this point? Oh, I've, I've nailed every goal that I've ever wanted to reach. Everything for me now is just an added bonus. It's like I've done everything I've ever wanted to do, ever. And everything now is just, a, are you kidding? Mm. I get to do that? So it's it's super cool. You've done so much. I, I'm so glad to hear you say that yeah. because it's awesome. And, and I get to do it on my own terms now, you know? Right. And, and my kids get to get to watch it and my kids get to go on tour with me and it's just it's just super cool man what do they think of it when you're playing a show are they into it or are they just kind of watching it they're into it as much as they don't want to say it i got a 16 year old daughter who's too cool for school (laughs) you know but she she lives with me uh i live with my 16 year old daughter and my other two kids live with their mom and it's so cool when they're all together and they're all watching the show I think my one of my kids said, oh, Gammy, she was standing there with my mom. She said, Gammy, I got to go down there. It, it looks like my dad's upset. and Because it was during this like monologue about sobriety and you can do it. And he, he's he's getting, I think I need to go give my dad a hug. And my Gammy was like, no, 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 it's, it's a part of the show. Like, no, no, I'm going to go down there. And so she started coming down to get to the stage. And I was just like, no, no, it, I'm fine. I'm totally fine. But she gets really into it. She's a painter. She's a cosplay. She likes to make masks. She's 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 adorable. She's amazing. Do you ever feel or have you felt, so you do the documentary, then you have like the one-man shows that you do, yeah. a book, that you've pulled back the curtain too much? No, because remember the whole thing in the beginning was reality music because yeah. nobody's wow. doing it. You know, that brings it all around. You know? Unbelievable. Like, uh, you're the best. Like reality, yes. TV, reality, music. It's just, and that's the greatest thing. doesn't matter what you've done in your life. As long as you're honest about it, you'll either be forgiven or they'll hate you. 
the more honest you are, the more there is an opportunity to connect with one individual person yeah. at a time. You make that connection, you got them. Exactly. And I'm never going to be, I always wanted to be Fred Durst when, when he was doing Limp Biscuit, you know, like, cause he was just so cool. I always wanted to be Rage Against the Machine, the singer from Rage Against the Machine. I'm never going to be that guy. I'm always going to be, I don't know, the, the Peter Gabriel. Uh, the fantastic, which is the artist, the weird, right. You know, guy that is always going to write about grieving and, and the beauty in life, romance and, uh, romantic art rock. That's what I call our music, you know, and I'm happy with that. I don't want to be anything else. I'm going to change topics here just for a minute before we get you out of here. There's certain movies out there that I've seen, I don't know, 20, 30 times. Swingers is one of them. Step Brothers, Pulp Fiction, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Casino. I mean, I could list so many. I I rewatch so many movies. If you're flipping around and there's a movie on, like what movies have you seen 10 times or more? Oh, my gosh. Step Brothers is one of them. Okay. Casino is another one. Yeah. I freaking love anything Will Ferrell does. The best. He, I, if I met Will Ferrell, it'd be like, oh my god, <laughs> I'd be just hug him. I want to hug him. Um, I'm a huge fan of Adam Adam Sandler. Me too. I just love the guy. I love his career. I love his choices yes. of, of of positivity and life right. life goals and and his moral compass on things. Um, What's a better Adam Sandler movie? Happy Gilmore or Billy Madison? God, Happy Gilmore. I go Billy Madison. You go Billy Madison? Well, hold on, hold on. Billy Madison is... Oh, dude, Billy Madison has Chris Farley in it. It does. Bro, I can't. You can't ask me that. That's a tough one. You can't. Oh, my... That's like asking what's better, Talladega Nights or Step Brothers? Step Brothers. Easy. Step Brothers. I don't know, man. Shake and bake. <laughs> shake and shake bake. Shake and bake, man. Come down here. Bro. Your mother slaved away on this Domino's pizza all day long. You know? <laughs> I'd have to say my favorite movie of all time, though, yes. the kind that I just, man, I wish I would have written it. Here we go. Is The Notebook. Sorry, bro. I'm a comedy and a, and, a, and a crime junkie. But when I saw The Notebook, mm-hmm. Ryan Gosling and that girl and the chemistry they had on that, it blew me away to when, did you ever see that movie? Of course. I love when that When they're movie. dancing at the end and yeah. she's like, who are you? I was like, <laughs> striker. I was like, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, remember him. You don't have Alzheimer's, I swear. You know, that's that's one. And there's a movie called Basquiat where David Bowie played Andy Warhol. Oh, wow. And uh, it was about the painter Jean-Michel Basquiat. Brilliant movie. Sex Pistols, PIL were on the soundtrack. Awesome soundtrack. Oh, my God. Talk about soundtracks for a second. That soundtrack. Is this an eighties or nineties movie? Nineties, bro. Okay. Ninety six. Oh my god! You have to go watch that movie. Okay. So Basquiat and all the other ones. Notebook, but bro, Will Ferrell, Adam Sandler. I love that. Come on, think think if we didn't have Will Ferrell or Adam Sandler in this world, how shitty would that be? Uh, Very very shitty. How shitty would that be? And how underrated, or maybe he's not underrated, of an actor is Adam Sandler. Oh, did you see Rain Over Me? Which one is that? The one where his family dies in the 9-11 plane crash, and he has to go to court. I've seen all Adam Sandler movies. I don't think I've seen that one. Promise me you'll watch that. Only when you want to cry, though. Okay. Because it'll you up, bro. It'll be like, mother, Justin, you're you're never coming on my show again. That's what it's going to be like. But I'm going to let you get through that, and then you're going to call me back, and we'll do it again. Uh, (laughs) Did you see Punch Drunk Love? Oh, it's brilliant. That's what I'm talking about. Punch Drunk Love, that one, uh, Rain Over the, Me. Okay, Rain Over Me. I like when he's the scout for the Philadelphia 76ers Ooh, as well. It's that's on Netflix. Hustler? Oh, yes, that's Hustle, great. Hustle. Is it Hustle, Hustle or Hustle? Yeah, that's You know amazing. who else I love? Who? Jim Carrey. I love, Bro. I love Jim Carrey. I think Cable Guy is probably one of the saddest movies I, and most beautiful movies I in the world. I love it. You want to watch some Pleasleth in Seattle? Dude, so, oh, my I God. It's so much. Okay. <laughs> okay, I'll pick you up at 6 a.m. Yeah. tomorrow. <laughs> You guys play ball here too? Caller <laughs> yeah. Steven. You guys play ball God. here too. Uh, I'm also a Quentin Tarantino. I. Huge fan. Me too. Huge fan. Love. Your Quentin house Tarantino. reminds me of that Hollywood movie. That's what I was trying to tell you. Thank you from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's what I, the vibe I walked in. I was waiting for somebody Thank to come you. in and try to kill me. I've got and a then Jack I, then I'm on the acid. Shiny. I'm yeah. on acid. Oh, I shoot God. you. You know, that's this house. 
Thank you. That's the greatest compliment ever. Yeah. I love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Really? I've seen it 25 times. Come probably. on, bro. That's one of those movies I'll be like, I yeah, That's cool. Pulp Fiction was the first movie that I walked out after it was done and wondered about directing a movie. Yeah. I never thought, you hear a, I'm like, directing a movie? Who is this guy? How did they do that? Yeah. What is this? Who cared before that? I didn't. I know. I mean, maybe Steven Spielberg. Just because of E.T. In Jaws, stuff. of course. In Jaws, yeah. Close Encounters. Yeah, but, I mean, but, but name another one. You know, I was like, wait, what's that, what's that movie called? Inglorious Bastards? What is Inglorious that? Bastards. Is that it's Quentin Tarantino, so, too? Yes, it is. Mother. So good. Bro. Go the kill scene, some Nazis. The scene <laughs> where he's having the pie, <laughs> and she's feeding the pie. She's Because I don't remember what it was, but this, that guy is so intense. The great actor. Ooh, yes. Oh gosh. Milk. Mm. Yes. Why can't we think of his name? Oh my god, dude. The first 20 minutes of that movie is like the best Scared 20 minutes of any movie. Out of me. Yeah. Have you ever gotten to like go on set in any films around here? I've acted in some movies that you may know. Which ones? I was in a movie with Jonah Hill. Same scene. It's called it's very low key called Grandma's Boy. You're in Grandma's Boy? Remember when they go to the vegan rep? I'm the one that seats them. Like, I've picked out the ve- this wa- vitamin water list. Enjoy the harmony. Here is this and that. And then David Spade comes on. I'm watching that tonight. Don't watch it tonight. And then I'm in a movie. Um, Are you kidding me? Oh, God. I'm forgetting the name. Cameron Diaz is in it. But I have like oh, I seven lines. I'm looking in the bathroom and the girls are fixing their boobs and I'm like, that's why girls go to the bathroom together. I can't. I feel so snooty that I can't remember the name of the movie. Oh man, but Cameron Diaz is in it. Oh yeah, and Christina Applegate. Oh, then that's why can't I think of the movie? Sweetest thing. Yes, the sweetest. Whoa! Thank you for telling me what movies I'm ding, in, ding, Justin. Ding, Justin. Ding, Justin. Ding, Justin. Oh my god, I can't believe the I'm sweetest I, thing. Oh my god. Wow. You ever see the movie Out Cold, the snowboard movie that's always on Comedy Central? No. It was Zach Galifianakis, his first movie. I have a small part of that. Anyway, I've been in those. those I few. love Zach Galifianakis. Me too. So smart. Okay, oh, so, so so let's let's Zach Galifianakis. Check this out. Remember when he was doing that string of movies that was just like awesome? The campaign. What was the other ones that he did? Uh, well, he was in The Hangover, of course. Yes, but he was just started doing these. He started turning into like this Will Ferrell character almost. Yeah. Why did he stop? I don't know. I think he is extremely picky on his choices mm-hmm. and he's afraid i don't know if he's afraid but he's just picky on his choices he's an artist he's, he's got a vision of what he wants to do and he will not waver off that i don't think he's very happy with uh hangover three or two <laughs> really i don't think so i think he probably loves hangover one why wasn't Hangover 2 or 3 good? I love Hangover 2. Hangover 3 was just horrendous. I've never it's seen zero, it. That's, of course, because it's horrible. Oh, wow. I mean, I love everyone in it. I, love, I love Which Bradley one did they Cooper. go to the Thailand? Which one did they go Part to? Part 2. Which one is the first? And, and, he's in the, and he's in the ice chamber the whole time, yes. right? Yes. What the hell? No, he's uh, the guy they're looking for who they lost was in the elevator shaft. Yeah. Right. But one of them got locked in the ice for a minute. That's right. That's right. Yes, oh my he's God. got the Stanford sweatshirt on. Okay, so okay, here's a question for you. Who's your favorite actor of all time? I have season tickets, meaning if they're in a movie, I go. Leonardo DiCaprio. Bro. He's probably my third favorite. Uh, give me your top three. Uh, that's De Niro. Your... Woo! It's hot. Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt. Man, that's fine. I know. I'm I'm scratching that. I'm replacing Brad Pitt, and I'm sorry, Brad, sorry, with Brad. Adam Sandler. Bro, congratulations! He's on brought those me big... more happiness in movies than yeah, maybe anybody. Yeah. So he's got to be in there. Daniel Day Lewis is my first. Woo! I'm a pimp, right? Yes. Philip Seymour Hoffman oh, is my second. R.I.P. Philip. Come on, bro. Like, right? Yes. Look at that Scotty. shit. Look at his career. Like, what the fuck? Uh, then Leonardo DiCaprio. Okay. Then, whew. Well, there's three great ones right there. Do you then, like Boogie Nights? Oh, God. Who doesn't like Boogie Nights? It's the most uncomfortable, awesome movie in the world. Best movie. Anybody who's ever done Blow sees that movie, you get a little pucker <laughs> and you need to go take a shit. That's what's happening. I'm sorry. Anybody who's watched that has got to go to the bathroom. And Burt Reynolds is amazing in that oh movie. Oh, my God. He's yeah, so how about cool was, was the house they lived in in Boogie Nights? That's, that's, that's this house. Take that gives that. me this vibe. You know, where's all the roller girls in your house? Oh, God, roller girls. You know? Whoo! 
But Philip Seymour Hoffman in that movie, remember him? Yeah, Scotty, With yeah. His half shirt. Right. He's so in love. With I him. know. He likes him so much. If you need anything. Oh my God, he's so <laughs> creepy! Oh, I got the same car as you. <laughs> Dirk, what do you think of it? <laughs> he has so like the, the he has like the cheap red, oh but not a Corvette, like, whatever it was. It's, it's really great, Scotty. It's really great, Scotty. <laughs> you remember the part where they're like, "We gotta make this." No, we can't pay you. We gotta make the album. We're, We're gonna go big. Then we pay you. Yeah. They do all this meth, and they're oh. just like, well, they're "This is gonna be great." We need the demo to send the record. Yes, yeah, the record label again. again. <laughs> It's so good. Oh my God. Paul Thomas Anderson, PTA. Shout out to him as a director. That, Young was that guy. him? Yeah. What that else guy. has he done? Boogie Nights. He did Licorice Pizza. I never saw Licorice oh, Pizza. Li Have you heard of it? No. It was nominated for Best Picture a couple years ago. Licorice Pizza. It takes place in the 70s in the Valley in LA. Okay. Um, it's really, really good. Man, I want to go watch some Adam Sandler movies now. So do I. We're going to wrap it right here because yes, Stephanie is calling the phone nonstop. It's perfect. Spinning the truth around. Lots of albums. Huge tours happening uh, for Justin and his band. Thank you so much for no. coming over. and take. That was really fun, Dude, man. Dude, it was awesome. Thank you. I love it. Anytime you want to. I have the same setup at my house. So if you ever want to do it when I'm in Texas. Yeah. We, we can, can just hit record. Pow. Just hit record pow. and go. Okay. From up down studios to yours. And there's a lot more to talk about, too. Yeah. I loved all the music education and you shouting out all those bands and just yapping. I know you do a lot of shows where you're telling stories, so I hope we got some good stuff out yeah. there for everybody today. Richard Halley, True Love's Gutter. You have to listen to okay, it. Okay, I will. Yeah. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. It's an honor. All right, we're <laughs> wrapping it right there. That's another episode of Tune on Toast. Happy Snuggles. Bye-bye. That's another episode of Strikers Tuna on Toast. Promise, it'll get better. Most likely. For sure. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs>